as a church, we are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and committed to making that gospel known not only here in Southern Maryland, but also to the ends of the earth. And we do that by raising up and sending out missionaries from our own church, by supporting missionaries who have gone, and also partnering with organizations and, and organizations that are committed to doing so. Here this morning, I'm just particularly delighted to have um, Dr. Lloyd Kim here with us this morning, who is the director, actually technically is the coordinator of Mission to the World. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Mission to the World, Mission to the World is a mission sending agency that has over 600 U.S. missionaries who are in full-time missions over, um, or close to 600 full-time missions, um, several hundred who are involved in one-year to two-year mission work, and also th- over a thousand partners, international partners, nationals around the globe, who MTW is working with to equip, to support for the advancement of the kingdom of God and for the building of the church all over the globe and to the peoples of this earth. Particularly glad that he's here with us today. It was about 15 months ago that um, I was in conversation with MTW and it worked out for him to come. And fortunately, he had opening in his schedule 15 months later. And so that is here today. And so glad that that didn't get canceled and rescheduled in some way. But just to give you a little bit of background about um, Lloyd is that he uh, is from California, went to Cal Berkeley where he got an engineering degree, went to seminary at Westminster and then a doctorate at Fuller Seminary. Worked as a pastor in California and then was called to the mission field where he worked with MTW in the Philippines for three years, then was in Cambodia for seven years, and then became the South Asia director um, for MTW. And it was shortly after he accepted that role that he was called to be the director and coordinator for MTW, helping to bring and to advance the gospel and the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth and to equip us and to facilitate for us churches to be able to do that. Those are all just a little bit of context about him. But the real reason why you should listen to him is not because of any of those things, but quite simply because he's a man who loves Jesus and who yearns to see the kingdom of God advance among all the peoples of the earth. Before he comes up here, we're hopefully going to have a short video about MTW just to give some context to their work. people think about Cambodia, they think about uh, the genocide, they think about human and sex trafficking, they think about poverty and suffering among the poor. In the midst of all that suffering, God is there and the gospel is there. It's taking root in this country. And our vision is just to see a uh, Christ-exalting indigenous church planting movement here in Cambodia that bears witness to the kingdom of God, both here and to the ends of the earth. This country is a Buddhist nation. 95% of the people here practice folk Buddhism in one form or another. It's entrenched in the family structure as well. When people come to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, oftentimes they receive familial and societal persecution. Even in spite of that, this hope that's come from what God is doing here in Cambodia. characterize uh, the nation of Cambodia, I would uh, say growth. The skyline of Cambodia is changing each and every moment. Every day there's a new building being thrown up, 
There's a new business coming into fruition. There's a new school being opened. There are more cars and motos than ever before. It's just exploding. And what's exciting is, in the midst of all that, uh, the church is growing. So we now work with four church plants in the city of Phnom Penh, um, but also uh, we have some works in the village. We have two works in Kampot province. And now we have some uh, church plants in, in another province that were started by some of our city church plants. So we have second generation church plants, which is really exciting. So of course we need church planters and church leaders. That is the first thing that we do is equip Khmer pastors. Oh, you can have all the church planters in the world, but if you don't have disciples that are growing in, in maturity, um, uh, you won't get very far either. And so we are also focused on uh, making Khmer uh, disciples. And lastly, we ask the question, well, what kinds of churches are we planting? Are we planting churches that honor the authority of God's word, that engage issues of mercy and justice in their communities? We want to see a model of a maturing church. We also have dorm ministries, which are our uh, venue for discipleship, discipling young uh, students who are the future leaders uh, of this country. We also engage felt needs in our uh, communities as well. We want to encourage our churches to care about mercy and justice and those things that are happening in their neighborhoods. But one example of that is the Cambodia Freedom Project, which is our anti-trafficking initiative. We partner with local NGOs in, in ways to just to encourage the church to think about their role. Um, and also, as you see behind me, the medical clinics is something that we do to engage uh, the needs uh, of the community uh, with poor access to health care, especially here in the village. As I've looked at the young church in Cambodia, what I've seen is Cambodian pastors and Cambodian uh, congregation members hearing the gospel and being transformed themselves and wanting to share this amazing gift with the people around them, looking at the needs and seeing how uh, they could be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it has been encouraging. At all of our church plants, we've seen students come to Christ, being baptized into the faith. We've ordained Khmer pastors just within the past year. There's a small, young presbytery that's growing together, thinking about how to impact this nation uh, together uh, for Christ. Our hope for Cambodia is just to see vibrant, healthy, reproducing churches. And ultimately, long after we're gone, uh, it's the strength of the local church and the local leadership um, that will see this nation change for Christ. And God is working through the church to uh, reach out to communities to address many of these uh, needs and these stories of suffering, transforming them into stories of hope in the gospel. share this video with you really as an example of one of the specific sites in which Mission to the World serves. And it really does highlight what makes us unique, the different values that we hold. Uh, first and foremost, we love the church, and we want to see the church grow and mature and expand. Second, we value grace. It undergirds everything that we do. It's the culture. It's what fuels our mission's passion. Um, third, our identity as those who come from a Reformed and Covenantal background. It's our theological foundation. And finally, our commitment 
to the mercy and justice of God in the ministries and the churches we serve. That's what, who, what makes us unique. Those are our values. That's who we are. And I hope you were encouraged uh, by seeing some of the evidence of God's work uh, in a country dear to my heart. It is a privilege for me to be here and share God's word with you. I'd like to ask if you have your Bibles uh, to turn with me to a very familiar passage coming from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 10. We're really going to be focusing on um, a, a couple of phrases in the Lord's Prayer, but I want to read from verse 5 to give us some context. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 10. This is God's Word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Uh, Please join me in a quick prayer before we hear the message. Father, we simply ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to fill our hearts and our minds that we might understand the message and the word that has been read in our presence. Help me, Father, to speak your words and to think your thoughts after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we were doing our family devotions one evening, and as is typical in our Uh, family devotions, we would take turns praying the Lord's Prayer. And it was my turn that night uh, to pray the Lord's Prayer, and I specifically thought to myself, um, don't just rush through it. Think very carefully about each phrase and each word that you're praying, and, you know, try to model to to our kids um, how to be very intentional about praying. And so I started the prayer with this mindset, and I got to about the third phrase, and then Um, there was a pause, my mind went blank. (laughs) I forgot the next line. The kids started giggling, and, uh, you know, I think I was tired. Um, But after I said amen, the kids had a field day with me. (laughs) They said, good job, pastor, (laughs) missionary, you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Now, I've always thought it was ironic that Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray and not to pray repetitiously or mindlessly and then teaches us this prayer, which we do what? We pray repetitiously and religiously. Uh, The passage that we read comes in the context of Jesus' disciples asking him, Lord, how shall we pray? And after teaching his disciples... Now, what is presupposed in this prayer is a completely different way of looking at life and looking at our relationship with God. 
Jesus does not simply want us to repeat mindlessly this prayer, but to adopt the worldview, the set of values, the kingdom perspective that this prayer assumes. And you see, it's this perspective that helps shape our sense of purpose and direction in life. And it informs our understanding of this collective call that we all have to world missions, to the Great Commission. And so today, we're going to unpack a little bit these first three phrases of the Lord's Prayer, the opening address, Our Father, Uh, the second phrase, Hallowed Be Your Name, and finally this um, phrase, Your Kingdom Come, Your Will Be Done on Earth as It Is in Heaven. Okay, so what is the first thing that we pray? Our Father in Heaven. And what is presupposed is that we actually have a relationship with God as our our Father. You see, earlier in this chapter, Jesus speaks against the hypocrites who prayed in order to be seen by, by men. Now, what was their problem? They didn't have a genuine relationship with God as their Father. Even though they were religious, their religion did not go beyond their cultural practices, something they just did. They were just acting as if they knew God. And so what we must recognize before anything else is the fact that we cannot engage in any meaningful way in mission, or for that matter, have any real sense of joy or peace in our hearts unless we have a relationship with God as our Father. You see, I think much of the striving in our life, whether we are conscious of it or not, is really a striving to reconnect with the one who has made us, our Creator. And so this prayer assumes that we have a genuine relationship with God as Father, But perhaps there are some here today who can't say that they do have a genuine relationship with God. I'm speaking particularly to the young people, not exclusively. Um, To you, I say, you know, having a genuine relationship with God as Father is different from growing up in the church. It's different from knowing the right answers, saying the sinner's prayer even. Having a genuine relationship with God as your Father is only possible by the Holy Spirit. And it's when the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. It's a spirit that convicts us of our sins. Have you been convicted of your sins? It helps us make sense of the Bible. Does the Bible make sense to you? The Spirit fills us with the fruit, with joy, with love, with peace, with patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It's the Spirit working in your life, bringing you comfort. You see, it's the Spirit that adopts us as the children of God and enables us to pray and cry out to God, what? Abba, Father. And so I ask you, do you know the Father? 
One of Ernest Hemingway's short stories tells of a Spanish father who decided to reconcile with his wayward son. His son had run away to the big city of Madrid. The father, remorseful, took out an ad in the El Liberal newspaper, hoping that his son would pick up the paper, read the ad, and understand his heart. In the ad, he wrote Paco. That was his son's name. Paco, meet me at Hotel Montaña. Noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. Now, Paco is a common name in Spain. And so when the father went to the square at noon, he found 800 young men <laughs> named Paco waiting for their fathers. You see, Hemingway strikes a chord in our heart with this story. What child does not want to be reconciled with his father? What child does not want to be in a good relationship with his father? And you see, if this is true with our earthly fathers, how much more true is it with the one who has created us, with our heavenly father? The Gospel of John tells us that all who receive Jesus, all who believe in his name will be given the right to be called the children of God. And so all of our prayers, all of our religion is worthless if we do not have a genuine relationship with God. And so if you have not yet received Jesus or have not yet called upon his name for the forgiveness of your sins, do not wait another day, not another minute. Turn to him in faith. Turn to him in repentance. Our Father calls to us to come to him, and he writes in the gospel, all is forgiven. Love, Papa. The second phrase in the Lord's Prayer assumes that our life purpose is not to hallow our name, but to hallow God's name. It's not about our reputation, it's not about our glory, but it's about his. You see, the Pharisees and scribes prayed in order to be seen by men. What does this mean? They were more concerned about their reputation, their name, more than they were concerned about God's. They wanted others to speak well of them, they wanted other people to hallow their name to give worth to their name. But here, Jesus tells us that our orientation in life as the children of God, as the sons and daughters of God, is to hallow not our name, but to hallow his. We exist to honor, to glorify, to build up the name of our God rather than our own. But let's be honest, it's much harder to do than it sounds. Um... Early in my time as the coordinator for Mission of the World, we, we had a conference on the West Coast, first conference that we had held uh, there. It was in sunny San Diego, and that's a city that's very dear to our family. Um, it's where uh, we got married. It's where we had our first kid, where I served in the presbytery, where my wife went to medical school. And so coming into this new job, um, not knowing too many people, I, I thought, finally, I'm going to go to a place where people will know my 
name, right? So I go to register at the conference and, um, you know, certain that they would know who I was. And I, they asked me, well, what's your name? I said, well, my name's Lloyd Kim. I'm on the poster. Um, but she said, oh, okay, here it is. Here's your pack. She didn't recognize me at all. She's a bit miffed. Um, the worship leader uh, did a great uh, led us in worship. It was wonderful. And so I thanked him. I said, uh, brother, it was such a blessing for you to be here. I was really ministered. Thank you so much. And uh, then he said, oh, thanks for that. Encourage- and by the way, what, what do you do around here? And I was, you know, my pride was like, uh, well, I just kind of coordinate things, you know, uh, try to play it off a little bit. But, you know, I mean, I know my heart. It was um, finally the last day I was trying to, um, I was a little bit late. I didn't have my name tag. And so I was kind of rushing to get into the sanctuary, and one of the ushers stopped me and said, uh, did you register? <laughs> they thought I was trying to sneak in. <laughs> uh, needless to say, God was telling me something about my own preoccupation with my, my name. Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name. But how often do we live out the prayer, hallowed be my name? Uh, But you see, this phrase also has a very strong missions thrust. For when we pray this prayer, what are we really asking God to do? We are asking that his name would be hallowed. And the reason that we go to the nations is because the nations, many of them, are not yet hallowing the name of our God. And so we pray that all those who do not yet know the name of God, from every tribe, from every tongue, and from every nation, would come to know him as Father and would lift up his name and hallow it as he deserves. The final phrase we will discuss today is that phrase, familiar phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What would be the opposite? My kingdom come, my will be done. Uh, You see, this is what Jesus was speaking against when he criticized those who would pray repetitiously, thinking they would be heard for their many words. Now, what were these people trying to do? They're trying to manipulate God. They're trying to ask God to give them what? They want, thinking that they would be heard if they kept persevering to accomplish their will above all else. And so our Lord wants us to orient our life away from our own personal agenda, comfort, security, kingdom, to his agenda, to his kingdom, and to his will. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, People have often asked me early on especially, what is your vision for mission to the world? And I often have responded, my vision is really Jesus' vision. Um, What was Jesus' vision? His vision was the coming of the kingdom of God. That's what he wanted to see. What did he preach? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. How does he teach us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Jesus' vision was to see God's rule and reign extend to the ends of the earth. He wants to see the heavenly kingdom come here. And you see, this prayer is not simply a prayer for Jesus to return, but a prayer even now for the power and presence of God to be known throughout the world. Maybe you're asking, well, what does this kingdom look like? And any kingdom, you need, you need people, you need citizens. And so when a person repents and believes in the gospel, submits to Jesus as their king, the kingdom of God advances. And when the church begins to live out the ethics of the kingdom, submitting to the Father's will, then God's rule and reign is here on earth as it is in heaven. And when those from every tribe and every tongue and every nation worship the Father, the kingdom of God has come. This is the vision of our Lord. Is it our vision as well? After uh, a speaking event, uh, a young college student came up to me, uh, thanked me for the message, and then she went on to share how, um, how her mother passed away uh, just a month before. She started crying. She said it was an accident, something that could have easily been prevented. And through her tears, she shared that um, earlier that year, she had given her life to the Lord, and she couldn't understand why God would take away her mother. But then she said, but now I realize he wants everything, and I'm okay with it. I looked at her and I said, your faith and submission to God's providence and will demonstrates to me that the kingdom of God is here. Thank you for strengthening my faith. Our Lord teaches us to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you see, in heaven there are no tears. There's no sorrow. There's no injustice, there's no corruption, there's no abuse, there's no brokenness, there's no sin, and there is no death. When we pray this prayer, we are praying that Satan's kingdom would be destroyed and that the gospel would go forth throughout the world and that his church would grow in grace and holiness and that Christ indeed would reign in every inch and corner of this globe, and that he would return in glory. Here's the thing. Jesus teaches us to pray this way because this is how Jesus himself prays. He says, our Father. He considers us his brothers and his sisters, our Father. And he prays, hallowed be your name, when his own name was mocked and was ridiculed. And Jesus prays, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then establishes this very kingdom by submitting to the will of the Father. Do you remember his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
He asked that God would take away the bitter cup. And yet in that moment of submission, he says, yet not my will be done, but yours. What did it mean for Jesus to pray this prayer? It meant that he would willingly give, willingly sacrifice, willingly submit, suffer even to the pain of the cross. He gave up everything for the kingdom. And he calls us to do the same. What then are the implications of this kingdom prayer? The implications are that we as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Christ, would live for the kingdom, would submit to the king, would seek to advance his will and his name above all else. And you see, this is where missions comes in. This great commission mandate to go and make disciples of the nations is the means by which the kingdom of God advances. This is what we're called to do. And so if we want to see this vision of our Lord come about, we need to take seriously this mission's call to send support and go to the nations with the good news of the kingdom of God. And so every dollar given, every prayer that has been lifted up, every person who packs up his bags and says, send me, Lord, and goes, testifies that the kingdom of God is real. And it declares to the world that we submit to a living king, a resurrected king, who even now rules over heaven and earth. It bears witness that the kingdom of God has come and we seek its advancement here on earth as it is in heaven. Some people have asked, is the day of Western missionaries going all over the world over? What is the role of Western missionaries today? We hear a lot about local nationals being able to do it themselves. To these questions, I respond, no. The day of Western missionaries going to the world is not over, not until the Great Commission is accomplished. Why do we go? We go first and foremost in obedience to our king. He gives us our marching orders. But secondly, we go with this mindset, not that we are the heroes, not that we are the saviors, but we go because we have received God's grace and mercy in our lives. And we go in every way, not only to give, but to receive from our brothers. We need them as much as they need us. Because as we journey together in this, we paint a more fuller, more beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is full of those from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And as we go to uncover the idols and sins of the cultures in which we minister, those who have come to faith come to reflect and help us to see the idols of our own culture, of our own church, and so as we go and make disciples, we grow and learn as much as we give from the nations. We need the nations. Our church here in the West needs our brothers and sisters in Christ across. For example, 
You know, when we ask a young Cambodian to become a Christian, what are we asking them to do? In many cases, we're asking them to be rejected by their family, be rejected by their culture, to be rejected by their friends. It's not uncommon for these young believers we've seen in the video to be cut off from their families, to be kicked out of their homes. And so sure, we are imparting to them truth and knowledge, saving truth, but what are they communicating to us regarding sacrifice, regarding faith, regarding what it means to bear the reproach of Christ with joy? We need them as much as they need us, and that's why we go. Beloved, let me just ask this simple question. What is our vision? It's my prayer that our collective vision would be that the nations would call upon God as their Father. That they would hallow His name. And that indeed His kingdom would come. And that His will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What is our mission? It is to make disciples among the nations. So shall we not, beloved, go in obedience and gratitude to take our marching orders from our Lord, to send support and to go and serve the nations. And so every time that we pray this Lord's Prayer, let us be reminded of our kingdom calling and our collective vision for the nations. Amen. Please pray with me. We are so humbled, Lord, at the fact that you would show us this amazing grace. And we pray, Father, that the fruit of this grace, this transforming grace, this Holy Spirit-infused grace into our life would result in a passion, a deep passion for your kingdom and its advancement here in this world until the day that you take us home. We pray that you would encourage us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. How not to pray, he gives this model prayer. <clears throat> 